0: Well, good morning. How are you? Well, have you ever been given a second chance? My, my guess is if you have grown up and you were at some point an adolescent, um, you could resoundingly say, absolutely, yes, I have been given second chance, after second chance, after second chance. Probably third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundredth chance. And maybe even as you were older, I was thinking back, Burke and I were talking this week um, about times that we had gotten in trouble and gotten whoopings, as he says. And I think the last one I got, I think I was like 15 years old, and my dad um, walks outside. I'm outside playing. It's a Friday afternoon, playing in the neighborhood, throwing the football, baseball, something like that. And he walks out and he says, hey, Gary, I need your report card. And I said, um, we're going to get them on Monday. So, so here's the problem with that. My dad was a principal in Garland ISD, <laughs> and my mom was a teacher in Garland ISD. They knew exactly. When report cards came. So my dad closes, he says, okay, that's great, closes the door and goes and goes through all my stuff. And he comes back a couple minutes later and I hear, Gary Ryan All Britain. And like you all know, like you get your full name, like you're in trouble. And so I, of course, go back in. And I'd been telling him I had a B in this class um, and I, I didn't, I had a C. It was a low C, it was barely passing, I probably should have been in tutorials, all those types of things, but I didn't. And in my life, I have so many of those moments like that where I probably took the wrong direction, where I made the wrong choice, right? And last week, we talked about bad things that happened to us, and of course, one of the reasons bad things happen is because of our choices. We make stupid choices at times. We make decisions we know we have no business making. And that causes bad things to happen to us. The other thing that happens is other people make really bad choices. And and believe it or not, your decisions affect other people as well. And so sometimes people make bad choices and it affects you. And then there's a third category. And the, the story of Ruth that we're looking at really falls into primarily this category. Sometimes bad things happen because bad things happen and there's not really a reason behind it. Because in this story, Naomi, she's lost her husband. They've moved to Moab, loses her husband. Her sons marry Moabite women. They both die, and she's left with her two daughter-in-laws. And after living as a widow in a foreign land, she and her daughter-in-laws make the decision to move back to Bethlehem, where they came from. And yet one of her Daughter in laws decide, no, I'm going to stay here in Moab. Moab. But Ruth, her other daughter in law, goes with her. And they arrive back in Bethlehem. And Ruth goes into the fields to work, to figure out how to feed and provide for this basically shattered family, this family of two widows. And she finds herself in a field working for a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of the family. And everything she does, Boaz is watching over her, taking care of her, providing for her. And so she goes to Boaz in the middle of the night, in the middle of the threshing floor. And this is a picture of the threshing floor. Would have been out in the public. She lays down at his feet. She uncovers his feet. And he wakes up in the middle of the night to see Ruth there. And she says, will you please cover me under your wings? Will you please take care of me? It's this almost marriage proposal. Will you be my husband? Will you redeem me? And that's where the story left off last week. With this question. Because Boaz says, well, I'm willing to. But there's someone else who's a closer relative. There's someone else who's really next in line. There's someone else who comes before me. And we have to give him the chance. It's the law. That's how it's supposed to be. We have to give him the chance. So in this story of Ruth, there are two reasons I think the writer gives us this story. The first, and we've talked about and we haven't even really touched on yet, we're gonna get to that at the very, very end, to prove David's right to be king. And the second is asking a really important question How is God involved in the day to day joys and hardships of our life? How does God show up when bad things happen? How, How does God show up in our life when bad things happen because we make bad choices? Or maybe other people make bad choices. How does God show up when bad things just happen? How does God show up in our world when you lose a spouse? How does God show up in a world when you've gone through a divorce? How does God show up in your world when you've lost a job? because our assumption is that God is showing up in our world and he's showing up in our lives but I don't think he does it as this cosmic chess player where he's just moving pieces around I think it's far more beautiful and mysterious than we could ever imagine the ways that God shows up in our world and so we're gonna jump back into this story In chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer. Now, this is the one who was really next in line. Goes up to the guardian redeemer he had mentioned, came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So, when he says my friend, in the Hebrew language, the actual phrase is so-and-so. There's a lot of anim- anonymity in it. It's so-and-so. Hey, come, come here, my friend. It's not really, come here, my friend. It's, hey, so-and-so, come here. I don't really know your name. You're not that important to the story. I'm not really saying that about you, Spencer. You're very important to the story. I lo- you're a great friend, and I love you. Um, but it's this idea of, hey, come here, so-and-so. You're not really important enough for this story that we need to know your name. You're just kind of a side note, so-and-so. And so I want you to kind of just put that in your mind for a second. And I want to hit pause on this story of Ruth. And I want to hit rewind and go back several hundred years to another story that's really similar to what's happening here in Ruth. And it's a story about a guy named Judah. Judah is one of the sons of one of the patriarchs of Israel named Jacob. His, his name is actually changed to Israel. And Judah has three sons. His first son's name is Er. And Er marries a lady named Tamar in basically this arranged marriage. And Er is an evil person, and because of the way he lives his life, he loses his life. And so Judah goes to his second son, Onan, and he says, you're going to go marry Tamar, and you're going to give her children because that's your duty. That's your responsibility. That's our responsibility as a family. And so Onan says, okay, I'll, I'll marry her, but he refuses to impregnate her. And again, he dies. And so Judah goes and he says to Tamar, you're going to have to wait a little bit for my third son, Shelah. And when he becomes of age, you can marry him. And so she goes back to her father's home. And what basically becomes this perpetual waiting game, waiting for the day that she can marry Shelah. But that day never comes. And so you have Ruth, who is left as a widow without children, not a virgin. And in this society, that would mean your life has been reduced to a place of shame and poverty. And so Tamar decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands. So she takes off her widow's clothes and gets dressed up, and she covers her face with a veil, and she finds out where her father-in-law Judah is going to be shearing his sheep. And she goes and she waits for him. And Judah sees her and goes up to Tamar. And, and then he gives um, it's a, a Hebrew pickup line. It's I mean, it, it's pretty indiscreet too. And, and guys, you might try this tonight. If you're married, you might try this with your spouse tonight. Okay? Habahana Abba. Come now. Sleep with me. <laughs> like I said, pretty indiscreet. And so Tamar begins to negotiate a cost with Judah. And he says, I'll give you a young goat. Real nice, Clark. I'll give you a young goat. And she says, well, how can I be certain that you're going to follow through? Well, I'll give you my seal, my cord, and my staff as collateral. That's actually the Hebrew word collateral. I just made that up. (laughs) I'll give you that so that you know. And so Judah sends a friend with this young goat to find Tamar, and Tamar is nowhere to be found. So he thinks, I'm going to be the laughingstock of this city. So we're just going to let everything go like it never happened. And three months go by. And Judah receives word that Tamar, basically ex-daughter-in-law, pledged to be married to Shelah, his son, is pregnant. And Judah gets angry and says, You're going to bring her out, and we are going to burn her to death. And Tamar says, That's fine. I'll go. But before you put me to death, will you please give this to Judah? And sends with Judah the cord, the seal, and the staff. And she said, these belong to the father of my child. And I would imagine for Judah, it is one of those moments when he sees his stuff where terror just overtakes you. Have you ever had that feeling when you've been caught or you've been found out? and that chill just goes through your body. Your stomach kind of turns over, and you are terrified of what could be. Here, here's what Judah says in verse 26. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son She is more right. She prostituted herself. And you have Judah saying, but she is more righteous. And and honestly, it's one of those stories like, why in the world is this even in the Bible? Who put this here? Why, Why is it in Genesis... Because it seems like it totally breaks up the story that's being told. Why are we talking about it in a series on Ruth? A couple of reasons. One, it was owed to her by the family of her deceased husband. She became their responsibility to take care of. And to make sure that she was okay. It was her right. And basically, what she does in this story is take what was rightfully hers. Because throughout the story of Israel, we are told of Tamar. And we look at the story and say, well, this is kind of the you know, girls going wild, bad girls of the Bible type thing. This is What she did in their eyes was considered righteous because it was what was owed to her. And the second reason is because without Tamar, Judah's sons are the end of the line. They don't have children to continue on his legacy. And somehow God is going to use this to further his kingdom and to provide for his people. Right? God was somehow working his purposes through the ways that we don't even understand and we can't comprehend. So so I want to hit unpause from the story of Ruth, and jump back in. So he finds this man, this guardian redeemer, at the city gate, and he calls over the elders, basically the older men of the city of the village, and says, I want you to to meet this man. This is so-and-so. So-and-so is the guardian redeemer of Ruth, and he's next in line. So-and-so, would you like to buy Ruth, or I'm sorry, Naomi's filled, And redeem her property. And he says, yes, that's great. I will do it. And then he says, okay, great. There's a catch, though. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Verse 6. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final one party, took off his sandal, gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing the transaction in Israel. Verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself and he removed his sandal. Now, now we know there's a little bit more to this story, I guess going backwards, right? Deuteronomy. And and we talked about this the last couple weeks. Just just really quickly, verse 8. There we go. So the guardian... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Deuteronomy 25. There we go. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build his brother's family line. Um, Verse 10, the man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandled. Now, you've been here the last couple weeks. How many people were waiting for Ruth for for Naomi to go spit in his face? Just me? Okay, I I was kind of expecting that's what was going to come. Thank you, Alice. Yes, Alice was ready for that. That's what was supposed to happen. Out in the public square with all the elders around, that's what we were wanting to see. Says, so-and-so, you want to buy the field? Yes. Great. You get Ruth the Moabite too. I can't do it. Not gonna do it. Okay. She needs to be redeemed. Ruth needs a redeemer. And yet the cost for so-and-so is too great to pay. He's unwilling to pay it. And so Boaz says, okay, great. You have all these witnesses here. All these elders have seen he had the chance, and he chose not to buy it. You've all seen it. Okay. And then they give his, him their blessing. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Verse 12. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez. Whom Tamar bore to Judah. Somehow in this story, can God use you to redeem his people? We we look back at, at Perez whose mother was Tamar and we say she was blessed may your family that will continue the family line of Judah be blessed in the same way and so Ruth has a child and Naomi has a grandchild. Naomi, who came back from Moab to Bethlehem bitter and broken, is now joyful because she has a grandchild. But but understand this. A child does not erase the pain of the past. It's still there. It's still a part of you. What you've experienced and what you've gone through still hurts. It is still painful. But through those moments, God grows us. And he helps us get to a place where we're ready to experience what comes next. And he does so by building our faith that he's going to continue to show up in ways that we could never imagine. Weaving together this masterpiece beneath the surface that we could never imagine. Because when you go through those difficult times, you gain strength. You gain wisdom. You gain things in those moments that you could never gain without going through them. And for each and every one, they're not moments that you would say, I'm so thankful this happened. I would love to go back and experience again. But they are moments that you can look back on and say, God carried me through these difficult days. He brought me through, and He was faithful then, and He will be faithful now no matter what I go through. Those moments prepare us. They prepare us to be an answer to other people's prayers. They they prepare us to see God's faithful. They give us a second chance. And sometimes a second chance doesn't mean it's just going to be like it should have been the first time. Because maybe the mistakes that you've made have consequences. And so the question is, well, what does faithfulness look like now? On the other side of the pain, on the other side of the mistake? It might not look like hitting rewind and getting a chance to do it all over again. Faithfulness in that moment might be from now, from this point forward, I'm going to do my best to walk with Jesus and be faithful to Him. And yes, I get a second chance. And yes, I'm forgiven. And yes, I'm redeemed. But it does not mean there are not consequences from what I've been through. And again, what's hard about that is some of those things we did on our own and some of those things were done because other people were unfaithful and then some of those things just happened. And we don't just get to hit reset and start again. And for so many, the hurt and the damage is so great. Because all of us would love to have that rewind button. We would love to be able to go back and do it all over again, right? And, and maybe avoid the mistakes that we made, or avoid the people who were in our life who made the mistakes. But we don't get that opportunity. The only opportunity you get is to be faithful now going forward. And as we we said when we started this series, and we we haven't even talked about it yet, four weeks, okay? The the number one goal, I think, of this book of Ruth being dumped here in the Old Testament where it is, is to prove David's right as king of Israel. To show you where David came from. Now I want you to listen. Here's how the book of Ruth ends. Chapter 4, verse 21. Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So that that's how it ends. But but I want you to think about this. Because that's how the story reads. But I want you to think for just a second how it could have read. Because you remember this roadside conversation where he says to so-and-so, hey, come sit here and let's, let's talk. You have a chance to redeem Ruth. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to step into this story and go say, hey, Boaz, I know you've got a, an important question for so-and-so. So. But can you please go sit down over there for a minute? And just to go talk to so-and-so as he sits down right before he makes a decision. say, listen, 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 so-and-so. I know you have a really, really, really important decision to make. Because it seems like a daunting task to redeem Ruth and her family. And I know it's a really, really difficult choice and it could cost you so much. But I want you to listen to this and just think for just a second. Just a second, okay? Just think. You go and marry Ruth. And Ruth is going to have a son. And his son is going to have a son. And his son is going to have a son. And his son is going to be named David. And David is going to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. Israel has a king? Like all the other nations? Yes, I know it's a long story. But Israel is going to have a king. And the greatest king in the history of Israel is going to be King David. And for generations, they're going to talk about King David. And as they talk about King David, they're going to read his genealogy, and they're going to tell of his family. And here's what they're going to say. Salmon, the father of so-and-so. That would change, of course. The father of so-and-so. So-and-so, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. See, God's given you this command that you're going to go and redeem that family member that's in need. And you have a choice right now To trust God, even when it does not make sense. But you've got to make the choice. Now think about this. One decision could have changed the course of history. One choice could have changed not only his life, but the life of his family for future generations. If he would have had the courage to be faithful to God in that moment, even when it didn't make sense, and even when he didn't understand. Because now as it sits, we talk about this story and we talk about a man named so-and-so. A story we can tell without even knowing his name. But a story, if he had been faithful like Boaz, would today be a story of Naomi, Ruth, and -and so-and-so. we will never know his name. Because in that moment, when he had the chance to redeem, when he had the chance to follow through with what God had provided and called him to, he chose not to. And maybe for you, faithfulness looks the same way. It's that commitment to be faithful to the call of Jesus in your life, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when you don't understand. Because so-and-so may never know what future generations would have done If he had been faithful in that moment. And I believe the same thing is true about you. You may never know the fruit of your faithfulness. This side of eternity. It may be generations down the line. That look back and say we follow Jesus today. Because of you. You may never see the impact. You may never see. And here, here's what we, we learn in this story. right? Because the story, we don't know who so-and-so is because so-and-so decided not to redeem Ruth. But God still accomplished His purposes And plans through another way. Because where so and so wouldn't step up and be faithful, Boaz was. And Boaz redeemed Ruth, gave Ruth a second chance at life. You may never know. the fruit that will come from your faithfulness. The sight of eternity. But our hope is that one day there are thousands and thousands of people who get to stand before Jesus and hear those words, good and faithful servant come in because we have been faithful. Father, today, we are so grateful that we get an opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And Father, to know that regardless of our decisions, regardless of our choices, your plan is still going to come. And your kingdom is still going to come on earth as it is in heaven. But, Father, you give us the opportunity, the chance to be a part of what you're doing in this world. If we would simply be faithful as we listen and follow your voice. Father, Father, help us to do that today with great courage knowing, Father, that it is You that provides, that You redeem. And somehow, Father, in the midst of the mess of this world, You are working all things for good. For those who know You, love You, and have been called according to Your purpose. Father, may we have the courage to step out and be a part of what You're doing in this world. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in His name, amen. If we could help you this morning, if you need a second chance, Jesus gives chance after chance after chance to come home, to be faithful, to return. And We offer you that invitation as we do every week, if we could pray for you, help you in that journey. Our shepherds, their spouses are going to be in the back of the auditorium while we stand and sing.